Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Hey guys, there's still time to join us in Bristol, UK on Friday, May 20th for the first International Food Addiction Conference. Clarissa and I will be presenting, along with Dr. Jen Unwin and others, on our Food Addiction Research Clinical Trial and what we know so far. Check the show notes to purchase your tickets. If you can't meet us in person in Bristol and you are interested in participating in our research, we are currently recruiting for our next groups that will begin treatment sessions in June 2022. Please fill out a contact form as soon as possible as we'll be starting our screening process in early June. Check the show notes for the link. Okay, guys, today we have a really special guest. Monica was a participant in our research. Monica Anderson is a 43-year-old working mom of two who has spent her career working in the retail industry, focusing primarily on product development. She self-describes as being gripped by eating disorders and addictive eating habits from adolescence until she had what she can only define as a divine intervention at the age of 42 that started her on her road to recovery. Monica has spent the last year working intensely on reprogramming her mind and life with the objective of being free from obsessions about body weight, shape, size, and to find freedom from harmful eating practices. Monica has an extremely supportive husband who has encouraged her to push and continue her journey, and she is motivated to do the hard work with the hopes of not passing on her disease to her children. With determination, faith, extraordinary effort, and the supportive help of Molly Painshaw and Clarissa Kennedy and the Sweet Sobriety Group, she has made tremendous progress in healing her relationship with herself and food. Monica has the ultimate goal of making a full recovery to live a life of freedom from disordered eating and to find love and acceptance for herself within herself. Clarissa and I sat down with Monica, and this is what we wanted to know. What it was like for her before recovery? What was her turning point or her aha moment? What is life in food addiction recovery like now? What does she do daily for her recovery? What is she still working on? And what did she need to hear early on in her journey? Welcome, Monica. Okay. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us here today, Monica. Clarissa and I just really felt like you have a lot to bring to the table. You have a lot to share that I think others can use your story potentially as a blueprint for getting their recovery started. So will you give us your story? Will you talk to us about your path and what it was like before recovery and what got you into recovery? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's like kind of surreal to be on this side of it because your podcast was like a huge part of my recovery at the really early stages. So it feels like a little emotional to be doing that (laughs) because like, I listened to like so many other people's stories and I like I never I never thought I would like cross over the other side. So anyway, it's like going to say that at first, kind of feeling a little strange, but in a good way. So my history, it starts really early and it's primarily one of like disordered eating. And primarily bulimia is what has plagued me for like the largest part of my life. But I've had like so many eating disorders and it's definitely shape-shifted over time and over the years and back and forth. And, you know, it's this coupled with like what I now believe to be, you know, addictive eating. And Clarissa, I heard you on a podcast once and you were saying like you were felt like you were 50% eating disorder, 50% like food addiction. And that like is similar to what I feel like, but I feel like mine is like 70% eating disorder, like 30% like addictive eating is kind of where it feels like where it's been for me in my life. It started for me, like I said, really early. My mom was a young mom. She had my sister when she was 19 and she had me when she was 21 and she got divorced when I was a baby. And my sister had a lot of health issues growing up and she still does. She has cerebral, she was born with cerebral palsy. She was severely underweight. She was like in the Mayo Clinic when she was little and just like really tiny. 
And I, even though I was like 18 months younger than my sister, we were the same height. And I was a normal weight child, but next to my sister, I looked big. And so they would call me the fat one and her the skinny one. And we were asked all the time for years if we were twins, but like, I'm the fat one and she's the skinny one. So like, you know, this is like, I'm impressionable. I'm like, you know, this is happening multiple times in my younger years. And then my very first memory in life, I was at the mall with my aunts. They were teenagers, my grandmother and my sister. And I am like probably between two and three years old. And my aunts are buying my sister an ice cream cone. And they say, Monica, you can't have one because you're too fat. And I'm like bawling. And like shortly after my mom like shows up at the mall and, you know, I'm sure I tell her what's going on. And like she marches over and gets me this big ice cream cone. And I'm like remembering like eating this ice cream cone and like bawling. And like, so this is my very first memory in life. And like, it's like so crazy. I have children now, I have two kids. And it's like, I think about like, what are the things I'm doing that are like imprinting their lives that like, I might not even be aware of. And so like, this has really been like something that has played into the entire part of my life. And, you know, I did like recently talk to my mother about this because I never talked, we never talked about it growing up. I just, this is something I carried with me and she validated this totally happened. So like at one point in my, like I started thinking, did I invent this? But like, no, my mom said, no, this absolutely happened. And so anyway, so like, this is my first memory. So like, you know, I'm like being called the fat one, you know, being told I'm too fat to eat ice cream. And so I would say like I had a normal childhood though. Like I didn't have any trauma. My mom got remarried when I was six and we moved from Minnesota to Illinois. But I was like this kind of awkward kid. I had like these really awful like gapped teeth and like huge glasses and like bad hair and like just bad everything. So I'm like, I'm going to like this tiny Catholic school and like I have divorced parents, which is like unusual in a Catholic school. I have a stepdad. I have this sister who has a lot of social issues. She's like picked on relentlessly at school. And like, I just wanted to be like, not known. I wanted to blend into the background. I wanted to shrink. I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like nobody, you know, like, and like, I just, like, I, I wasn't like cool. I wasn't like the pretty cute girl. Like, I'm just like, a, and I'm again, I'm a normal size girl. I'm not like super tiny, but I'm like very normal, was never heavy. So I just like remember being always very highly aware of my body growing up. And I'm like, became interested in eating disorders at like a super young age. Like, I remember watching an episode of Different Strokes. I don't know if you guys saw this episode where Kimberly eats an entire sheet cake. And then, like, she goes into the bathroom. You don't see her, but you hear what she's doing. And I'm like, I learned about bulimia then. And I don't know, maybe I'm 8, 9, 10. I don't know how old I am. But, like, I'm like, ooh, what's that? And then I remember watching the Karen Carpenter movie with my mom. And like learning about anorexia and laxatives. And like, I'm fascinated. Like, I'm fascinated by these stories, you know? Like, who? And I'm like, I'm under 10 at this point, and I'm, I'm too young to be interested in this type of stuff. And I remember being 10 years old and going to the mall and buying a can of sleep vest. Like, I don't even think I used it, but I bought it. And I, in fifth and sixth grade, we did like science fair projects. And I did my science fair projects on weight and eating disorders. Like, this is super strange behavior for such a young child, but you know, it's clearly not happy. So like, these are really strange things I'm like doing at like super young ages. And like, in the meantime, I like do feel like there is this like cord of like addictive eating patterns that like we're developing too. I was like kind of kid, like I would go trick-or-treating. I would eat my entire like Halloween basket in like two days. And like my dad would take me out and we would really trick or treat. Like, I mean, it was like impressive that I could do this. My sister was not doing those kind of things. I'd eat an Easter basket in like days. I was in Girl Scouts and I remember like buying like a box of Thin Mints and eating the entire box of Thin Mints in third grade. Like these, you know, like just like definitely there was like some strange behaviors that were developing like pretty young. I lived in a household where my mom, she kept very little processed foods in the house. Um, like almost none. Um, she was like a naturalist, like kind of before it was trendy and cool. Like she made her like her own everything, you know, her own pasta sauce, her own pasta. Like it's just like, that's just how we grew up. There was not like, there was never like chips or like any type of snack foods around. And so, like, I remember, like, loving to go to my neighbors who have, like, Pop-Tarts and, like, you know, fruit snacks and whatever else you have. So, like, I love, like, love going to my neighbor's house. And, like, we never went to my house. We didn't have any snacks. Nobody wanted to be at my house. 
so I'm like getting older. I'm like in my teens and I'm like very impressionable and I'm like getting the teen magazines and I'm comparing myself to like, this is the nineties, like the waif like models, like my Kate Moss. Like I want to say Kate Moss and I'm not Kate Moss, but I'm like also like a normal, normal weight. And I just remember like just liking my body from such a, like a young age and reading my diet tips and like it's the night, then my nineties, the era of low fat and snack wells. So like in my early teens, like I start restricting what I eat and like, I'm pretty much exclusively eating carbs, like, because like, you know, it's low fat. So I stopped eating like any meat, any cheese. I was like, never really, really eat like butter or anything, but like I stopped like all of that. And I am just living on carbs, white rice, fat-free cereal and like candy. Like I'm living on like Swedish fish and licorice and gummy bears and candy corns. Like, and like, I'm like, literally my body is crazy. Like my mind's crazy because I'm just eating sugar and I'm exercising constantly. Like I'm going to the gym and I'm running and I'm on the elliptical and I'm weight training and the bulimia starts then. And it is like a freight train. And once it starts, it's like this hamster wheel. I don't get off for like 30 years. So like, you know, this, like it went untreated. My eating disorder went untreated for years. Um, my parents, I did, you know, discover this at some point in my teens and they sent me to a psychiatrist and like, so I'd go and I'd sit in the psychiatrist's office and I wouldn't talk about my eating disorder. And he'd prescribe me Prozac, which I didn't take. And, you know, it's like this thing I did for like years. And my parents are like paying for this stuff. And I'm like, not, you know, I'm not getting therapy and I'm not taking the medication. <laughs> It's like ridiculous, right? So like somehow, you know, like I graduate, I, I do well in high school. I'm like, I have boyfriends and friends and a social life. And I like go off to like the college of my choice. And like the behavior is escalating. Like I'm stealing my roommate's food and replacing it, eating it. And then there's like, you know, when you're in college, it's buffets. And so it's like eating the buffets and in the toilet. And it's like just continuing and continuing. And then it's like, it's, going from like, I'm stress eating now. So I'm buying like bags of chips and eating like an entire bag of chips as I'm like writing a term paper or like I'm ordering like a box of breadsticks and eating it as I'm like studying. So I'm like, the behavior is like changing and I'm using it as like coping mechanisms and like different things. So it goes from like, you know, like maybe it started because like I'm restricting or I'm like hungry and then it turns to like, it's coping. It's like soothing. It's like these doing all these different things for me. But like, again, like I'm doing well in school. I have friends. I have boyfriends. I have jobs. I am like on the dean's list. Like I graduate with honors. Like how am I doing all this stuff? And I'm like starving. I'm hungry all the time. I'm exhausted. But somehow I get through school and I start my career. And again, like my, I'm climbing the corporate ladder and like I'm literally carrying my disease with me every freaking step of the way. I get married. I have kids. And this freaking disease is just getting worse and worse and worse. And then it like COVID happens. And like in between all of this, like I'm doing all the weird diets. I'm like doing master cleanses and like South Beach diet. And like, I would like, again, I want to just stress to you. I was never happy. Like I like was trying to relentlessly lose like five pounds, 10 pounds. But like in my mind, I'm like thinking I'm like this, like this blimp. And I'm like working out constantly. And you know, it's just like, you know, the cycle. So COVID happens. And at this point I'm doing intermittent fasting. I'm eating one time a day. I'm training for a half marathon. I'm not sleeping at all because of the COVID stress. I'm restricting to the point where I'm like almost fainting like daily. And I'm like binging and purging my brains out. And like my behavior is like getting riskier and riskier. Cause I used to do this when like my children were out of the house or my husband was gone or like I like go somewhere. Like I can't go anywhere. It's COVID. I'm like stuck in my house. So like my behavior is really risky. I'm like doing things where my family's like in the other room. I don't have locks on the door. My kids are little. They just walk right in. I'm like, my behavior is like way out of control. So my husband, thank God he walks in on me and like he has to intervene. So like, that's kind of like the turning point in my recovery is, and I think my husband did kind of know, we like never talked about it, but he told me that this is like so embarrassing. But my sister went and told like everyone in my high school that I had an eating disorder. And so like my husband said, I knew when you were in high school, you were bony back. I'm thinking, I never told anyone. I didn't even tell my therapist. And everyone in my high school knew I'm bulimic. Couldn't believe that when he told me that. So anyway, 
it was something we never talked about. And I like, I was like pretty good at hiding it. I thought, or maybe I wasn't, who knows, but like he had to address it. And so like the turning point, and I kind of like, will say like, he like nudged me. Like it was like, I don't know if it was like up or down the mountain, but he like nudged me. And, and then he kind of had to like shove me, kick me, push me like, because like he's a really calm, understanding person. And like he sat me down and was like, told me like, okay, Monica, I'm worried about you, blah, blah, blah. blah you know, you need to get help. You need to seek therapy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't say yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like defensive. Like I didn't say anything at first. I was embarrassed because I never, again, I never talked about this, not to anyone, not a soul. Here I am, I'm 42 years old and I'm having to like address this for like the first time. Um, really. And like, and it's my husband and it's like, I'm, it's got shame and all of this. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, I don't want to do these things. Like, I'm just like, I can't stop. And so I gotta do nothing. Like I'm like listening to podcasts and like, you know, thinking like, Oh, by osmosis, this podcast is going to cure me or something. But like, they're not really very good podcasts. Like they're not like the ones I found later, you know, like these just like this, whatever, it doesn't matter. And so then, like, my husband, like, sits me, and that's my, my behavior's getting worse and worse. It's, like, not getting better. And he sits me down again. He's like, you're going to do something, or I'm going to figure out something for you to do. And I'm like, all right. And so, like, around this time, like, really shortly after, I get, like, this, like, little alert from my Libby app, my, like, library Libby app thing, like, Breaking Up With Sugar. Your book, Breaking Up With Sugar, is available. And I'm like, I don't even know what it's about. Like, no clue. I'm sure I, like, preserved it thinking it was, like, a diet book at the time. Because, like, so anyway, this, like, comes and I start reading the book and I'm like fascinated. I'm like, O-M-G. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't even say O-M-G. I don't know why I said that. But it was like a light bulb. And I was thinking, oh, this is so interesting. I think there's more to this than like, I clearly know I'm eating disordered. But like, I, yeah, like uh, there is a component of like eating issues, like, you know, sugar and flour and all of this too, that I'm thinking about. So my mess, I join Molly Carmel Facebook group and she sends me a message and I'm like, oh my gosh, she sent me a message. And I'm just like, Thank you for joining our community. And I'm like telling her, oh, Molly, like, this is such a good book. Thank you so much. It's like really eye-opening for me. In the meantime, like I'm still like literally doing nothing besides like reading <laughs> for my recovery. And I had like a bulimic episode, you know, but like, I'm trying to break up with sugar. At this point, I read her book and I'm like, okay, all right, this is what I got to do. I got to break up with sugar and this will cure everything for me. But like, I don't, like she lays it out in the book, but like, I still like I'm trying in just to break up with sugar and I'm failing. And like, just like a few days go by and I have this like bulimic episode and like where I'm sitting now, my daughter's wall is like right here, right next to me. And I don't have a lock on my door. And like, you couldn't really hear, like my house is old and it's, and I'm having a bulimic episode like right next to her. And she doesn't walk in, but I like, like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Like all of a sudden I'm like, I gotta figure out what to do. Like, I cannot live like this anymore. And I have what I can only describe as like a divine intervention. And like the next series of things that happened to me, like, I don't know that they would have happened without like some type of divine intervention. So like here, like, oh my God, this like bucket of vomit in front of me. And I like get down in the corner, this wall right here. And I get down on my hands and knees and I am not like a spiritual or religious person at all. And I get down on my hands and knees and I start praying to God and it's a simple prayer. And the prayer is God, release me, release me from this. Like, please release me, release me, release me, release me, release me, release me. And I stayed in that position and I don't know how long. 10 minutes, five minutes, half hour. I have no idea. I'm bawling and I'm just asking to be released. And I look up and I see like right in front of me, I'm like this wall, there's like this chain of post-its. And like, and it's like this little chain of post-its that my son had put there. And he's like very creative. And he, the time is only five, I think. Let's be six now. So it's not even like a year ago, a year ago. And at the bottom of the post-it is this little, I don't know if you guys see it. It's a big smiley face with like arms and legs and a little smiley face with arms and legs. And it's a son. And it's a picture of him and me. And this is on my wall for months. And I never saw it. And I look up and I see this post-it right in front of my freaking face. And I think, oh my God, like this God is speaking to me. He's saying like, you need to live. <laughs> like you, this is your, like, this is your reason. You need to live for your kids. You know, like you can't continue to engage in this behavior. Like you've got to figure out a solution, Monica. 
And from there, like, I am not joking. My recovery plan, like, revealed itself to me. Like, when I was ready to find it, like, it found me. And so, like, I'm not kidding, within hours, like, so, like, at this point, like, the only thing I know is, like, Molly Carmel. And I, like, the next morning, I'm like, I'm like, you know, listening to podcasts. And I really, like, in her Facebook group that I had joined, I see, like, she has a podcast. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me figure out what her podcast is. And the first one I listened to is Molly Carmel, how I recovered from an eating disorder. And I'm like, blown away. I'm listening to her story. Story and I'm blown away and I'm stopping. And so she had, like I said, she had messaged me. So I'm like, I want to do like, I stop the podcast in the middle of it. And I send her a message on Facebook Messenger. And like, I looked it up. <laughs> that was June 5th, 10 months from today. <laughs> and like, again, like, again, I have never told anyone, I've never told a soul I have an eating disorder, although my whole high school knew. And I write her and I say to Molly, like, I've been gripped by eating disorders since my early teens. And I'm, I haven't broken free yet. I'm 42 and I'm now ready to do the work. I want to be on the other side of this and actually live my life. Listening to this episode was a God moment to quote, breaking up with sugar. I've hesitated to seek help, but hearing your story was as if you were pulling the words from my own heart, my mind, and my experience. I've never felt like I fit in. I belonged or I was enough. I've coped for years with binge eating, purging, hating myself for doing all of the above and being me. And I could never break free. Thank you for showing me the light. And then I'm like, I ask her, like, I'm like, here, I'm thinking she's going to take me on, you know, it's like, please take me on. I'm like, I'm going to seek treatment from you. And so she like, you know, tells me like, and like she messages me, it's like a Saturday and she messages me back like shortly after. And she's like, yeah, I have like this program like called Beacon and like, I have all these therapists that work for me and, you know, like fill out the paperwork. And so like, you know, somehow like in the weekend, like, I fill out that paperwork and like I submit it all. And then like from Molly, from her book, like she talked a lot about Marty Lerner. So I'm like, okay. So now like I'm download Marty Lerner's like book. It's like a free ebook. And I start reading his book and I see that like he has like this milestone program. So like I'd already filled out all her paperwork. So I'm like, I fill out the stuff for milestones too. And I send it to, you know, Marty Lerner's clinic. And like, I don't know, maybe this is like Monday or something. And I get like a call on like Tuesday night. And I think it's Tuesday, maybe it's Monday night, whatever. And it's like at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. And it's like, it's milestones. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, fine. Like, they're like, are you going to make it through the night? And I was like, I am totally fine. Like, I am looking for a therapist. And they say to me like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you qualify for like long-term care. Like, you need to go into like a facility, like a live-in facility. You, like, you, you would not qualify for therapy. And I'm like, oh, and it's like the first time I'm kind of realizing, hmm, yeah, like my husband was saying I have a problem. Like, I know I don't want to live like this anymore, but oh, wow. Like this is, maybe this has like gotten away from me a little more than I like thought it had, you know? Like I knew like what I'm doing is not normal, like normal, but like I don't realize like to the extent that I had taken it or like I had let it take me. So anyway, like, you know, she tells me like, go into this, whatever you have to go into. The thing. And I'm like, I basically decide in that moment, like, okay, I'm not going into long-term care. Like I have like a high stress job. I have two little kids. I have a husband, like it's COVID, like no way in hell I am going into like a long-term care facility. And I decide in that moment, like I'm going to do whatever it takes to recover, but I'm not going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out the answer. And I'm like, ready. Like I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at it, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Okay. And so like I'm reading Marty's book then, and there's a hyperlink in there. And he talks about the connection, like, oh, one of them, like the very early book is talking about the tenants of recovery and one of them's connection. And he's got a hyperlink in there to like 12-step program. I don't know what a 12-step program is, like no clue. Again, like, living with eating disorder for 30 years, literally did not spend one second researching it, trying to figure out how to get out of it, just like lived in it. So I take, it's a hyperlink and it's the 12-step program and it's ABA, Anorexics and Bulimics Anonymous. Never heard of it. So I click on the hyperlink, take me to the page and the page, like there's a meeting going on right then and there. And so I can dial into the meeting. Like, what is this? I'm like, this is super weird. Like, oh, like the 12 step. That's, you know, the 12 step. It's like a lot of jargon. It's like a lot of strange things at first. And it's like, what is this? So I see like, so I just listen and I see they have like a meeting the next morning at eight o'clock and they have a meeting every morning at eight o'clock. And 
So I joined the meeting at eight o'clock and I'm like listening to the preamble and the thing, like all of it. And I'm like bawling. And I'm like, for the first time, I realized like I am not alone in this. There is like an entire community of people out there that are suffering from exactly what I'm suffering from. And so like, it's just like the ball just kept rolling from there. Like this is kind of what got me started. And like, eventually I found my therapist. And eventually, like from Molly Carmel, I found you guys because I was like exclusively listening to like what she was on and you guys had interviewed her. And then I started listening to you guys and like it just kind of kept snowballing from there. (laughs) But it like really started. It all started from me getting down on my hands and knees and just praying to God. Like So anyway, this is like a very long answer to your question. But (laughs) yeah, so that's how I got here I am. No, that's great. So can you share with our audience what it was like in the beginning when you finally made that decision? Okay, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Like, how did you find the strength to keep going? And was it an easy peasy recovery process for you? Oh, no. I mean, okay. Was it easy peasy? Absolutely not. Like I can do, I've done really hard things in my life. And this is like another hard thing. This, I mean, I had both of my children vacuumed out of me, which was hard. And I don't know, this might've been harder. This might've been harder. This was, it was really, really difficult. So like I said, I was like taking it, like I'm doing this on my own because I'm taking in like all of this information, like a ton of information. I'm like getting super confused in the beginning. And I'm like, there's like so many conflicting messages out there. And eventually like I'm with a, a, a true eating disorder therapist who like believes in like not the addiction model, like all foods fit in, in moderation type of thing. So I'm like seeing her... And I'm, but I'm like, you know, like really believing there's like a component of like addictive eating, like to like what I have. So I got really turned around and confused by that. And like, I'll say like one of the most difficult things in the beginning for me was like, just like I said, admitting to myself that like I had a disease and I had an addiction and then like being honest with myself about it. And then like being honest with others about it. And like the first and I like I had decided like I need to start telling people because like I need to start living my truth and recovering and like and like I'm like living in this for like 30 years, hiding, sneaking, lying. Like this is my behavior. Like I'm living a double life for decades. Like I have two lives. And like I gotta like I gotta live one life and I have to be like really honest about it. Like I just decide like I'm gonna be completely honest. And I had a girlfriend that had like really recently gone into alcohol treatment. And I remember her being like super like vulnerable and honest and just like being open about it and like I did not have like any like I didn't think it was shameful like I was so proud of her and like she felt like a safe space for me like the first person for me to tell like I had known her for like a decade of course never told her and so I remember sending her a text message and like this is like maybe like the day after like meet with my therapist for the first time and I sent her a text message and I say like um you've been so honest with me about your journey I want to be honest with you about something like I'm suffering from like eating disorders for all these years and I'm taking the first step to get help I'm like I'm like literally about to pass out I'm like this is a dear friend of mine and she's been going through hell and back and been in alcohol treatment and and I'm like about to pass out sending her these text messages so like I send the text and I like I put the phone down and I just have to go and I just start walking and I'm walking 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 and it's like storming <laughs> I come back and I get this message from her and like it's exactly what I need to hear and I'm like oh my gosh I pulled it and what does it say like she basically says to me like you know like oh my gosh like, you know, I'm so proud of you and she says like this is going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done you need to take it like a day at a time give yourself grace and like baby steps and like I didn't really know what that meant at the time like I'm reading it but like oh man I really know what that means now <laughs> So like once I was honest, like with myself and my first friend, and it became like so much easier. And then I just started like, I wasn't like telling everyone, but it's like when I was like with like those close people, like I would share with them, like, Hey, like this is what I'm going through. Like things are like a little different for me now. <laughs> like I'm not doing all the stuff you used to do. 
And like, it just become, it came like really liberating, like to live in my truth and, and to like not live in, in my disease, you know, like I say, like in those rooms, secrets keep you sick. How much I truly believe that. And like, what gave me the strength to keep going? Ultimately, it was like, I was coming up. My daughter at the time was nine and she was coming up on the age where I was when I started my really awful behaviors. And like, I remember saying to my therapist, like, I would rather cut off my left arm and I'm left-handed than transfer this disease to my daughter. I'd rather cut off both of my arms. My daughter, she's like strong and confident. And I'm like, here I am engaging in some of these risky behaviors where she could have like, I don't have a lock on my door. She could have walked in on me. I'm like, at any time. And I'm like, I ultimately like, I kept going because I'm like, I cannot transfer this to her. 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 Like I need to protect her at all costs, even though I wasn't protecting her at all costs. Like I finally, like once my eyes are open, like I could not shut my eyes. I couldn't. And so like, that's really what gave me the strength to keep going. And also just like that God like showed me over and over and over again that my life mattered. Like, I mean, I wasn't asking for signs, but anytime like I was having a hard time, like I'd look up to the sky and like I'd see angel wings or like I'd walk, like I'd be walking and it's a fall. And like, there's like a yellow brick road in front of me of like leaves. Like I can't tell you all these crazy signs that were happening to me that like were showing me, like God kept showing me keep freaking going. Like I kept slipping and I kept falling off and like, I just kept getting these signs, like keep going. And ultimately, like, I just knew in my heart, like I had to keep going like for me, for my daughter, for my family, but like for like others too, because like I have the people reaching out to me and like asking like, I'm doing this. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. But like, I had a lot of people reaching out to me and like, I just like inherently felt like I had to keep going because like, I don't know, I feel like a calling, like even if it's just like this podcast and this like helps one person, like I knew that like eventually like I would help other people. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And maybe it's just this, but like, I felt like eventually, eventually like I've suffered for so long because I'm going to help others like come out of this. So yeah, that's what gave me this thing to keep going. I'm really curious to understand then, or to have our listeners or help our listeners understand, you know, so you start this recovery and and a lot of it is eating disorder based because that's what, right? Like you're like, okay, this is going on. You're really recognizing the bulimia and, and amongst other things that kind of morphed throughout the years. How did you get to the point where you're like, this is like food addiction or sugar addiction? Because we got to know you through our sweet sobriety group. And I'm just curious to know, like, how did you get to that point? And then during the course of that group or since that group, you know, what has been the most helpful for you from that? I mean, like what I was binging on was like hyper palatable foods, right? It's like, those are the the things I'm like, was really good at restricting. But like once, like I would have that first bite of like, whatever it is, like cake, like it was on like in pretzels and it like, but it came on like a little bit later for me, like, and it got stronger later, like that part of it. So I think, and like when I'm just like reading, like, and, and also like understanding, like, like these foods, like hijack your brain. Like they are drugs. Like, I mean, they turn your brain on like drugs. And like, that's what my experience was. Like every time I would have these types of foods, like I would feel out of control. And yeah, so I guess like that's kind of how, I don't know if I'm even answering the question. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you kind of figured out that there was something else going on. And then if so from there, like what kinds of things, I guess, maybe to be more specific is, you know, how do you address the food addiction aspect of it? So, you know, you kind of talked about like ADA and, and having an eating disorder therapist. What kinds of things do you do for your food addiction recovery or that aspect of what you've got going on? I like... I have a lot of things I'm doing, <laughs> a ton of things. It's like, it's kind of an exhausting list, but oh, I'll, I kind of, I'll go through some of it. I have like this crazy checklist that I do, but it doesn't have to be crazy. I used to like get up every day. And like, at first thing I do is like, I check my email and I'm like into my work and work, 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 work. And so now like I get up, like I like to get up early. Like I like to get up between like four and five in the morning and like have just like my alone like recovery time and I don't turn on my phone at all in the morning and I just like do my morning routine and so my morning routine is like me putting gasoline in my car and like I have to do all these things like kind of fuel myself for the day so like I read my big why in the morning like why I'm doing this (laughs) I have like a whole big why that I've written like I journal 
I make a food plan for the day and I plan my time out in like time blocks. I plan in what I'm going to eat because like I was not, I was not like making like eating a priority. I do like affirmations and gratitude and I do some like EFT tapping. (laughs) I read my goals. Like I have a whole list of like goals for this year and like my word for the year is freedom. And all of my goals like revolve around freedom. Um, I do like these visualizations where like I have like my, my future self is like a healthy recovered self. And I have like all these, like, you know, my present self. And then I have like all these broken little past Monica's like this, like, you know, the Monica when she was like two or three, like that couldn't have ice cream. And like my like high school eating disordered Monica and all these like broken, I'm like, just it's weird thing. But like, I have them like all come together and hug and I'm like holding my current self is I was like holding like this broken little, the baby Monica. And like I, my future self is always saying to myself, like, keep going, like, you can do this. Like, so like I do that, like, it just sounds super weird, but like somehow it like comes to me. I do my food prep, like food prep is like paramount. Um, I do that. Like after I do like my morning routine, like once my kids are up, I do my food prep for the day. And like, I've already journaled what I'm going to eat and like I make my food and then I don't have to think about food. So like my first meal is prepped. My second meal is prepped. So once I'm ready to eat it, it's there. I don't think about it. You know, I follow the food plan that you gave us. And I wasn't doing that at first, but like once I finally realized like this is, I had like all these tools, but like it took a lot of time for me to figure out I had the tools. I had like needed people to tell me I had the tools. So I got, yeah. And then I like have my dinner planned and like I eat that with my kids, but I do like a daily movement and stretching and I don't like consider it. I used to like look at it like exercise, but I don't now. I look at it as like a gift. Like I get to move my body. I get to, you know, be healthy and I like love being outside and in nature and like I do like a lot of gratitudes or I'm like listening to like recovery podcasts when I'm doing my movement. I have an accountability partner. He has a lot of the same issues I do and we check in like twice a day and we send each other like encouraging messages. At the end of the day, we send each other like a thumbs up or a thumbs down of how the day went. And you know, sometimes like I have flips and she's like right there to pick me up and you know vice versa that has been a tremendous help for me is having her and just like you know sometimes we like facetime and my kids have like been on facetime (laughs) and like you know sometimes i call her when like things are like go really left i have like a little mantra that i write down almost every day and it's unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort equals miracles and yeah, like I write that down every day and I have like, I expand upon that, but like, that's kind of the gist of it. And so like I say, I do all of these things and I do all of these things most of the time, but like, um, also I want to say like that, like there's no perfect day and like, well, we don't live in like a perfect world. So I, I don't want anyone to think like you have to do all of these things. There's like days where like I have five minutes and so I might go for a five minute walk instead of like an hour walk or like there's days where like I can't do everything. So I, I, I'll i do a little bit of something. So I try to do like maximize my time and do the, a little bit with the time I have. Also, I want to say that I try to practice like mindful eating, which is super important for me. So I, like I said, I plan my time in what I'm going to eat. And then I like make it a point, like I sit down, like my first and second meal, I eat alone and no screens, no distractions, no music, no nothing. And like, I breathe before I eat. And I learned all of this from you guys, (laughs) from the group. So I do like breathing first. And like, I usually say like a little prayer and like think about like where the food came from. (laughs) And I, I eat like mindfully and like I put my fork down between bites. So it's not like, I mean, it used to be like, I would literally eat here at my desk, shovel the food in, and I'm like, did I eat? Like, this is how I used to do. And I like, I never knew I was eating. So I take my time, I eat mindfully, and then I take my time and I drink like a hot beverage after. So like I, it's like a closing of my meal, like when it's done. And I enjoy my hot beverage. It's like, you know, a decaf coffee or like um, a ginger tea or something that's like a treat for me. So like, I'm not in like the sugar and the flour and the hyper palatable foods anymore. But like, these are like, you know, something I look forward to. I have them like only after my meals and it's a treat for myself. And so like, that's what I do. And like these, like all these little things have kind of helped me like with my addictive eating and my like impulsive eating and like my going to the cabin. Also, like I, I try to only eat, I don't eat between meals. 
And so like, you know, sometimes I have to like sit with those feelings. Sometimes I've eaten and I'm like all of a sudden like that addicted brain like, oh, wouldn't it be good to have some panels? And I'm like, you know, I have to pause and breathe and like use some of the strategies that I've learned, distract, set a timer. I'm like, usually those crazy like thoughts go away. So yeah, like those are some of the things that I like to like daily for my recovery. Well, yeah. And they've obviously attributed to your success and kind of are your secrets, right? They're like, this is what works for Monica. And so, because we gave you guys so many strategies in the recovery group. And I think it's so important that you pick the ones that work for you. And that is what makes it start to work for us. So what have you found that you still feel you need to work on? Yeah, I like a lot, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> but like, I, I'm like still pretty early in my journey. And so I'm still like creating my identity as a person like that will never binge again because like my bulimia, but like I've actually been free from my bulimia for seven months, which I never thought this would leave me. So it's been seven months that I, over seven months that I haven't practiced in bulimia. But like, like I said, like my disorder shapeshifted, like it shapeshifted from bulimia to like binge eating disorder. And so like now, like I am like having to like reestablish my identity as like, I'm not bulimic. I don't feel bulimic anymore. But like now I'm like having to be like, I'm a person that will never binge again. Like this is like the now the identity I need to establish. I'm also like establishing the identity of like, I'm not recovered yet, but like, um, now my identity is I'm a person in recovery. Like I don't, I don't go to like 12 step meetings anymore. Like they just, they stop serving me, but like, I'm a person that's in recovery and I do like, I don't know, a lot of other things that I didn't even talk about <laughs> for my recovery. I'm still working on like separating from, and I know Molly's going to laugh at this, separating from my inner pig, like my red dog. So one of the things that I found really difficult to do, and I actually had to do like a different program that I paid for was like how to separate my addictive brain and my higher brain. And so I did this program and I like talk about like, you know, calling it like your inner pig or whatever, establishing a name for it. And yours is Ruth and yours is like the PB bedwetter or whatever. So like I call mine the pig, but like separating from that is something I'm still working on. And I've gotten like a lot better at it, but like I had to take this program to like, cause I couldn't instill the pause. Like I could not instill the pause. And so I had to take this other program, <laughs> which really helped me like separate the two. So that's something I'm still like working on every day, like separating it and like refuting this inner pig and like refuting it like ahead of time and like kind of knowing where it's going to attack me is something that I'm still working on, but like I've done really well with, like I've been like, this almost this entire year, like sugar, flour free with like, like maybe just a couple minor slips and really more like on vacation. But like now when I'm in my own environment, like I really, it's like the days are so much easier for me now. I'm still working on being like 100% compliant when I'm traveling. So that's something I'm working on. I'm working on like forgiving myself. I'm working on, I mean, there's like wasted decades, entire decades that I've wasted forgiving myself for the time that I've stolen from myself, from my children, that I've let the disease steal from me. And I'm forgiving myself for like the mistakes I've made and the harm I've done to myself and to my children. I'm working on being patient and accepting. This is a huge one that recovery will come when like it will come eventually. It's like not going to come on my terms. So like when I started this process and they said to me, like, I heard this is like, you know, realistically, it'll take you two years to recover. And like, I heard this multiple times and I thought, oh gosh, you do not know me. Like when I commit to something, like I commit to it, like I will have this lift six months. I gave myself six months, six months. Oh, six months is well more than enough time for me to recover from this. Mind you, I've been in this three decades, but I'm thinking six months, no problem. I throw the kitchen sink at this. I'm doing everything. I'm like, I'm doing stuff, like anything and everything. I'm telling you, I'm tapping. I'm doing the craziest stuff because I'm like, whatever. I'm throwing everything at it. Like one month goes by, two months goes by. I, I, they say, do 90 meetings in 90 days or 60 meetings in 60 days. I do 90 meetings in 60 days. You know, I'm like doing two meetings a day. I'm not getting recovery. <laughs> Three months goes by, five months goes by. And finally, I'm like, okay, you know, there's a reason they're telling you like two years, like best case scenario. So like, I'm like working on like letting it happen when it happens. And it's like the shifts are happening gradually. There's like gradual shifts 
that have happened over time. And so like, I'm also working on like being proud of where I've come. And like now, like it's 10 months, it's literally 10 months to the day that I messaged Molly, Molly Carmel. And like, I look back and like, as I'm like getting prepared for this podcast, I like, I reflected on like where I was and where I am now. And I'm like, I'm really proud of myself of like how far I've come, but like, I know like I have a long way to go. And so I'm like, I'm just still working on my recovery because I'm not recovered. Like I couldn't let my mom like bring a birthday cake into my home this year because like, I didn't trust myself. Like I like all of this stuff. I, so yeah, I'm still working on like all of it. And I'm like, just working on like believing that I, like I can recover. <laughs> like Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just to normalize, like we're all a work in progress. We all have things that we're working on. Like our audience obviously can't see us, but like, as you're, you know, speaking like Clarissa and I are both like bobbleheads over here, right? Like we're all working on the same things and we've been on our journeys four and a half, almost five years, you know? So it just is what it is at this point. So absolutely. I mean, your honesty, like you're just being real, you know, like Clarissa likes to say, like we're recovering in reality, like this is real and this is just where we're at and we'll just keep pushing on. So we wanted to ask you one more question before you go is what did you need to hear when you first started this journey? Yeah. So there's a few things. The first thing I needed to hear, and I didn't hear it like right away. I heard it from like a dietitian that I was seeing that ultimately I had to break up with because she also believed in all foods in moderation. But anyway, the one thing that she did say to me, which was a jewel and it was worth a thousand dollars I spent on her was full recovery is possible. And she looked me straight in the eyes and she said to me, full recovery is possible. And this was at a time where I'm like, I am in the food and I'm like in the binge eating. And it was like the first time like, I really like internalized it. She looked in my eyes and I'm like sitting in her office and I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I needed to hear that, but I, I heard it, you know, at the right time. Also like something that I needed to hear, which I did hear like really early on was like the disease is chronic, progressive and fatal. Like once I realized like the bulimia was fatal and that like I could cause myself like a heart attack or a stroke or like, I just like, I really was super naive to like the things I was doing to myself. But like even in the food, like doing like the sugar, it's like diabetes and, you know, heart attacks and cancer. And so like all of this is fatal, right? So like you, we have to take it seriously. Like, and when I, and I'm like, Molly, see me in the groups sometimes. And I'm like really strong with like my words, but like, I like when I like to talk to some of the other girls, but yeah, like this is a really serious thing. And the longer it goes untreated, the harder it is to come out of. Like, I'm here I am 10 months and like, I'm still trying to come out of it. So I would say early intervention is key. Like I would say like another one, I don't mean you hear these in the rooms, but like suffering is optional. Like life is like so much better than you could imagine. So like, just start, just get started. You don't have to have like all the answers, just start the recovery. Don't be afraid of failure. Like, I mean, I'm walking proof that you can fail over and over again, but you have to get up. You have to get up and keep trying every day. And you like have to like commit with, um, you have got to commit with perfect perfection and forgive yourself with dignity every day, every day, commit, like aim at that bullseye every day, aim at that bullseye every single day. But like, you know, like you've got to dust yourself off and like forgive yourself as soon as you can when you fail and believe in yourself, despite like obstacles, failures, setbacks, left turns, like in all the day ones, like, and really like, I don't know, like I, I would say don't count, don't count. I don't think counting is productive. It wasn't productive for me. And also like everything worth having is worth fighting for and to like break it down into like little steps like because like I wasn't sitting there thinking like every day like you know oh tomorrow I'm going to be recovered like I'm like literally when I'm in it I'm just like focusing on getting through the day I'm focusing on getting through the day I'm focusing on getting through the meeting I'm focusing on whatever I can so break it down into like tiny action steps and like the little steps the little progress you make will, will bring you there and it's just like life like out of the food is like so much better than you can dream of. It really, really is like life is better. Like just the simple, like walking outside and looking up into the sky. It's like a million times better than like binging on an entire box of Girl Scout cookies. 
Oh, thank you so much, Monica. This has been such, I loved hearing your whole story. I had not heard it all before and uh, I can relate so much with everything that you were sharing. And I think so many of our listeners have this like nuanced eating disorder or disordered eating food addiction relationship. And I know that your story and how you've recovered is going to help so many people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up in the groups that you show up in. And it's really funny. We just saw you the other day in group and after you had to sign off early and somebody was like, I'm writing down what she just said. Like, that's a great quote. And so, I mean, I just want you to know, right. That people hear you speak and they hear that you're coming from a place of caring when you are, when you're sharing in groups. Right. And so I just want to let everybody know, like if you ever, you know, hear Monica's and there she's sharing to you <laughs> or with you or about you, you know, about something in group, you know, it's because it's coming from her heart and people are writing things down. And, you know, I think it was, it was like, we were talking about sparking joy and you said, if it doesn't spark your recovery, get rid of it. And this gal was like, I'm writing that down, you know? And I think that's, those are the kinds of moments that we all need. And so like you were talking about the connection and I just, my biggest takeaway from this conversation today is just, you kept asking for help. You kept reaching out, you kept connecting with professionals, with accountability people, with groups, whomever it was that you needed, you never stopped. And I doubt you're going to stop. So, you know, I just, you just don't strike me as a person who's like going to just all of a sudden unknow everything you've just done and just fall right back into that old stuff. I think, yes, there will be slips along the way. Amen. We all have them, but you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, as you said, and you keep pushing forward. And I just appreciate that you were willing, as scary as it is sometimes to come and be on our podcast and share that with others. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes I say to myself, like, (laughs) once you escape prison, like don't climb the wall in reverse. I've heard that before and like run like hell in the other direction. And so like when I have those thoughts, sometimes I say that don't climb the wall to prison in reverse, Monica, you're out of it. I never want to go back. I never, ever, ever want to go back ever, ever again. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.